Well, I'm starting a, a new series today called Simply the Church. And I love teaching and preaching about the church because the church has meant so much to me. And so typically, this is when I start a sermon and I try to tell an interesting or whimsical or even sometimes a, a funny story that doesn't always work out for me, but I try. And before I, I start in this sermon, I'm not going to go with that tone because I'm going to say a lot of great things about the church. And when, I, when I'm talking about the church, I'm, just not, I'm not talking about CIL, I'm talking about the, the entire church. But I, I can't just mention that without, without talking about a contemporary issue that is, is, is just gut-wrenching. The scandal in the church today, here in our nation, most, most uh, recently in the Pennsylvania Diocese of the Roman Catholic Church, is is just unmentionable evil. I don't, words can't express how vile that one state and, and investigation of one diocese is an indication of something much larger. And before I begin to talk about all the great things in the church, for those who have been victimized by representatives of the church, I just have to take a moment and, and acknowledge that. In another nation, uh, Chile, in South America, some things have been revealed in recent days that, are, again, are unmentionable. But yet those in responsibility need to investigate and understand and you cannot cover up sin and you cannot excuse sin. And so whatever, whatever it means in my small isolated voice, I am sorry for the pain the church has caused uh, people of this world. And I'm sorry for any pain you may have experienced from the church. That's the church at its worst. But there's another story to the church, and it's a story that I want to proclaim more today. And it's a, it's a story that I think is going to grow and grow and grow in potential through you and through me. And that's when the church, when it's at its best, when the church is functioning as God has called it to function, there is nothing that can bring more value to humanity than a healthy functioning church. There is nothing that can positively impact culture. There is nothing that can promote genuine heavenly love like the church. And that's why I believe in the church. I believe in the local church. I believe the church is the hope of the world. And and I want to invite you to join me and giving your life to the God of the church, giving your life to Jesus Christ and manifesting that in participation in the church. And this is why 
what we're going to talk about today and in the next couple of weeks is so important. There is an incredible man in our church. There's lots of incredible men in our church, but there's a, a guy named Ben Cordray. And his wife is one of our pastors, uh, Pastor Jennifer Cordray. But long before we even considered making Jennifer a pastor, Ben is actively involved in our church. And guys, he is such a servant. He does so many things no one else knows about. And he's a problem solver. He loves to see where are the problems in the church. And he's not one of those people who just tells me about problems. I got a lot of those type of people in my life. He actually solves them. He solves them a lot of times before I even know about them. And so I'm glad to, to, to let you know about Ben and, and, and in heaven. I can't wait to heaven because so many people who deserve honor will be honored and purity through Christ. Um, and so because I'm pretty close to him right now, I'm in a, in a discipleship group with him. I've been with a small group of men and we finished up a year of discipleship and we're hoping to start more of these groups. I, I, I was able to ask him and I asked him permission to tell, to tell you this. You know, why is it that you give so much? Why is it that you serve so much? In fact, there have been times I've had to say, man, you're, you're doing too much, right? I mean, you're doing too much. You need to balance that. Why do you do that? And so he, he told me the story of when he was a, a child, very young. He found himself suddenly, suddenly um, part of a, a single parent family. His, his father left them very, very quickly, very suddenly. And at that time, because his mother and his siblings were plugged into a local church, the men of that church in particular, or who he mentioned, stepped it up and they began to take care of the physical needs of the single mom. And they began to emotionally be there for Ben in ways he can tell you about. And he, he, to this day, I've heard him several times talk about these men from, I'm guessing, the late 80s in London, Kentucky, who changed his life. And, and I don't know where those men are today. I don't know how many of them are alive or where, what they're doing or where they are, but because they touched, they touched the little boy's life. They're touching CIL today. This is just one example that we overlook of when the church is at its best. The church is at its best when it's life on life, story on story, people touching people. And those stories far outweigh the bad and they far outweigh the, the things that, that make us weep in pain. The, the stories are occurring over and over and over in this church, what you're doing for somebody else today, you have no idea the ripple effects. You, don't, you have no idea how you are touching lives. And it's been happening for the last 2,000 years. We are part of something. We, we are not an isolated sect, an isolated church, an isolated group of people. We're part of a story. We're part of an unfolding. We're part of a tapestry. We're part of, we're part of a lineage. We're part of a family, man. We, we are part of a culture, a character. We are the church. 
So what's the definition of the church? Here's something you may want to write down if you're taking notes. Here's a really broad definition. The church is not a building or in our days, it's not just us marketing a group of people. The church is the community of all true believers for all time. All believers at all time. That's what you're part of. That's the beauty of what we do. It's the beauty of the Lord's table when we take communion. We, we do the same thing all believers have done for all times. I know that it's appealing for us to think that we're unique and different and no one's like us, but it's also comforting to know that we're actually part of something that has always been and will always be under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word church itself comes from a Greek word called ecclesia. And ecclesia simply means assembly. That's all it means. And so it was used uh, commonly for all types of assemblies, not just religious assemblies. Any time people got together, it was a gathering. It was an assembly. And that was the church. And so our, our first point today, I'm going to give you three words that will help describe the church. The, the first one, the church means the church means assembly or gathering. You can write that down. The gathering. That's, that's the original, original meaning of the word church and it's taken on this life, uh, both good and sometimes uh, bad, of, of something even more. But it's when God's people get together. When God's people come together, the enemy wants to isolate us. You know, the enemy loves it when Christians stop going to church. And there's a hundred reasons, a thousand reasons for Christians not to be in church today. There are legitimate accusations and reasons to criticize the church and reasons to isolate and marginalize the church and to say, well, the church doesn't need to be part of my life anymore. It's my personal relationship with the Lord. That's a manufactured term. You don't find it in the Bible. God's called all Christians to be in community together. You're called to be part of a gathering. You're called to be part of a gathering. You should be in community with some other believer. You're called, you're not a fully functioning Christian. I'm not questioning your salvation, don't hear that. But I'm saying you're not a fully functioning Christian if you're not assembling or gathering with other believers. And, and you're, you're, you're isolating yourself. And it's not God's will for your life, but here, especially in America, especially among baby boomers today, uh, they just think they don't need the church anymore. It's disheartening because then the generations behind them follow their example. They follow their example. Church attendance has dropped rapidly since the year 1990. The statisticians have seen that. I know we don't want to believe it. I know we don't think so because we see larger churches than we've ever seen before. But those larger churches are, and I have nothing against large churches. I'd like us to be one someday. But larger churches um, are masking the spiritual poverty of God's people. Less and less people are attending church. Less and less Christians think they need the church. And it is a deception uh, that, that is leading to a lot of the decay that, that we, we have seen. So the word church, when we use it, we can be talking about a lot of different things. It can, it can be talking about something as small as a gathering in a house or as large as the universal church of all people 
of all times and all places. And so let's look at some biblical examples. Here's the first thing you can fill in the blank here. We have what is known as house church. House church. Now, this is not an indication of the small church. I think about if you guys all met at my house, we would be very limited. Maybe a dozen of us. I love my home, but it's a smaller home. And we already have five people and three pets in there. So we got, we got plenty of, of organisms in that home. But, it, you know, we, we used to have people in our home a lot. We used to, every Sunday night, we used to have a small group in our home. Our neighbors are gracious. We had cars everywhere. And, and we've had lots of people in our home, but there's limits there. Well, I, I've been uh, to the city of Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and I get, I get to walk through one of the homes of that time era when the Bible was written. And they would have rooms. I, I, I stood in a room in a home that was literally half the size of this room. And that was common. So many of the homes of wealthy people uh, actually could hold dozens to hundreds of people. We'll say dozens for sure. Dozens and dozens of people. So just because people met in the house is not necessarily an indicator. That may be a misapplication of scripture. Church is supposed to be small. Not necessarily. Now, I love the fact that the church doesn't have to be at a special location. It can be anywhere. It can be at home. It can be at a fast food restaurant. It can be at a coffee shop. It can be, I mean, I've heard of churches at rodeos, ski lodges, fishing competitions. Uh, there's churches everywhere. Uh, most NFL teams have chaplains and they have church services the day of the game. So church happens a lot of different places. So uh, look at what the scripture says, Romans 16.5. This is just an example. Greet also the church that meets in their home. And it goes on and gives specific people. Another example of this is 1 Corinthians 16, 19. Aquila and, and Priscilla are, uh, send you greetings warmly in the Lord along with the church that meets in their home. See, it was a first New Testament power couple leading the church. How about that, huh? All the sisters should be excited about that. The church is also, you can write this down, an entire city. So it's fair to, to call us, there's a church in Nashville and greater Nashville and Hendersonville and Gallatin and Goodlettsville. And even though today there are, we're, we're in one of the most churched regions of the world. I don't know if you know that. Uh, Nashville is probably one of the most church areas in the entire world. And so there are probably a couple hundred churches in Hendersonville. I counted them up one time and we did break a hundred. Um, but Hendersonville and Gallatin, there's probably a couple hundred churches, but we're one church. We're one church if we believe the scripture and, and, and I believe if we believe the creeds, uh, what God's people have believed all times and all places. So here's an example of that. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God's at Corinth, you could say at Gallatin, at White House, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, this idea that this is going to all the believers in that particular city. Second Corinthians chapter 1, 1 is the same type of theme. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, Timothy, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, a specific city in now modern day Greece. Another example of this is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, to the church, you know, to the church of the Galatian people, whatever you guys call it, Galatonians? I don't know. I've never had figured that out. So whatever y'all call each, each other who live in Galatian. So this idea of the church is a city. 
Then there's a church in a region. Write that down. Church in a region. Acts 9.31. So this was written to the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. And it's talking about, actually it's describing something here. So it's talking about church. It'd be like saying to the church in Tennessee or often the church in the South. When I preach a lot, I talk about the church in the South and the church in Southeast, the Southeast, because I think it's important to know that we worship differently than people in the Northeast or in the Northwest. You can't compare a church in Nashville to a a, a church in Seattle. It's not apples to apples. A church in Connecticut uh, of 50 may be more powerful than, uh, not more powerful, I don't think we should compare. It's doing more effective work than the church of 500 in, here in the South. We have to understand there's, there's a, a regional reality. And so the, the Bible categorized churches in this way. And then, as I've already referred to t- today, is the church in the entire world. <laughs> Ephesians 5.25, Christ loved the church. But Ephesians 5.25 up there, Christ loved the church It said, husbands, love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's not talking about just one particular uh, sect or one little uh, building on a hill in Hendersonville, Tennessee. Like we're the only ones. We're the only ones that have the truth. No, he gave himself for all people of all times, uh, all God's people. Another example of this is 1 Corinthians 12, 28. God appointed and God appointed these in the church, apostles, prophets, teachers, work miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administrations, very kinds of tongues. You see that these are appointments to the church. And so you have in the church uh, different categories. The scripture tells us that when we talk about church, it could be a few of us gathering. It could talk about the entire church worldwide. A few years ago, we had a staff member, a guy here named David Huff. He was here in August talking with you guys. And uh, at the time, he had two sons that were just a few years younger than my two sons, and they had kind of a, a, a neat relationship. They didn't spend a whole lot of time together, but there were different times when we would be here at the church or at a restaurant, and the four of them would just kind of hang out and, and do fun things together. I remember one time David's mom, Patty, was with us, and she has been in ministry for many, many years. And she saw the four boys playing together. And she said, you know what that is? That's church cousins right there. Church cousins. And that term really stuck with me. I, I think about me. I was fortunate enough to grow up in one church from really pro- probably the age three until I left for college. I was in one church. And there, there were people I grew up in that church with that I wasn't like particularly close to. Um, people who were around my age that I didn't like run around with all the time. I had friends at school. I had other friends. But there was just a, a special bond with them that even to this day, even though, even though I didn't spend a whole lot of active time, I guess I did every Sunday and I did at youth camps and things of that nature, there's just a different bond with even some of my teammates that I played sports with and, and other people who have kind of faded out of my life. Because... And these aren't always people like my age. It wasn't like always people who graduated the same year I did. It was people three and four years older than me and three and four years younger than me. This, this idea of, of family is what it is. And that's my second word for you. This is, this is what I think we're missing today. Guys, we're a family. The church is a family. That's what we're, we're, we're not consumers of Religious product. 
mean, you guys, I want you to like my preaching. That's kind of important to me. But I don't want you to come here for my preaching. That, that, that may be how some of you start. Some of you may say, well, I like the church. We'll have to get over the preaching and just endure. So however it works out, I, I want you to like me and the music and our location and stuff like that. But, you know, I've, I've, but, but I, I don't want that to be the reason you stay. I want you to stay because you're family here. I know some people who have come to our church because it's easy to park here. <laughs> So it's just easy. I just pull in, park, walk in, walk out. They don't want to go to a church where they have to wait in line 20 minutes when they leave. Well, I hope that someday, I hope it's someday soon when it takes us 15 minutes to get out of here, that you stay because you're part of a family. Man, we're losing that. We're losing that sense of family. I'm not talking about us as a local body, but just in our mindset of, of it's really not about the music that's important, the preaching's important, programs are important, but it's the relationships that are contained within those gatherings and, and those times. And, and God wants us to be a family and families have to overcome problems. Families have to work through offense. You can't have a family if every time you get offended, you leave. None of us would have a family anymore. In fact, I'd say my family's offended me more than any other entity in my life. I won't say that in the second service because my mom and sister attend that service. And I will have to say they are genuinely the two nicest people you'll ever meet. So I can't, I, I really can't say it's their fault at all. So we're a family. Look at some of the scriptures. First Timothy chapter five, verse one and two says this. Paul is writing to a young pastor. He says, don't rebuke, don't rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father. That was important to me. I started pastoring at age 29 and all of our board members, at that time they were all men. Now we have a mix of men and women, but they were all older men than me. That group ticked me off a lot. And, and there, were, there were some issues that they were biblically wrong on. The, the scripture, don't, don't rebuke them. Exhort them as a father. Try to help them see the angle. I know I was wrong on some things too. Treat younger men as brothers. Older women as mothers. The young women as sisters with all purity. How many know that if we applied this scripture, we wouldn't have a lot of the problems we have? There wouldn't be a church too movement if people would treat younger women as sisters with all purity. If we, we, if we really treated each other as family, we said, you know, that, that's not a problem to get out of my way. That's, a, that's like a father that I need to work with. That's not just a mother who is slowing our church development down if someone would think something like that. That, that. An older lady who's doing that, that's a spiritual mother who has wisdom to value and that we need. These, these, these are things God's calling us to think of each other as family. Not, not to think of each other as obstacles or problems or just someone who sits on the road. We, we have to develop each other's uh, friendships. We, we learn each other's names and then we learn each other's stories. And then we learn each other's hearts. And if you're not ready for that yet, I'm going to say please keep coming. 
Have you, have you ever heard pastors like, if you aren't in community, if you're not going to come to small group, don't even stay. No, I'm not saying that. Come on, come on, come anyway. Because over time, you're going to get more comfortable and you'll get to know some of the people you sit with and, and it'll begin to change and you'll begin to open your heart. There's huge reasons why people aren't ready for steps like this. There's, there's legitimate reasons why people are scared of community, but that doesn't change the fact that it's God's will for you. And it's God's will for us to invest in community. It's God's will for us to be close to one another. It's God's will for us to fight through um, the, the friction and the resistance. And I'm going to say this to you. Some of you know that you're going to move in six months or a year and you're in a temporary situation. Don't withhold your heart from where God has called you now. That's the wrong thing to do. Because then you'll be, you'll, you'll be a person who, who always is holding back. If, you, if your job changes every two years and you move somewhere every two years, put everything in that two years. Put everything in that six months. I think about when I, when I, I used to go to youth camp a lot as a kid or on mission trips uh, as a teenager. And I made lifelong relationships in like four days with people I'm still in relationship with. And so what can God do in four months if we, if we put our hearts into everything? And time's getting away. Thank you for saying that because time's getting away from me. So I, I'm glad you thought that. think this is good. <laughs> You can read First John later. Um, this is Sunday, and it's the Lord's Day. And in countries all over this globe, people are worshiping. Let's talk about somewhere like Iran. Iran has a significant Christian minority, 10 to 15%, hopefully growing from that. Their government suppresses the church, yet this Lord's Day in in Iran, people are gathering to worship the Lord. Somewhere there's an aircraft carrier in an isolated part of the ocean, and there's a military chaplain that are gathering the Christians and those who are investigating Christianity, and they are worshiping the Lord today. In places of opulent wealth and in places of severe poverty, there is something happening on this Lord's Day. It's a gathering. People are coming together to worship. There is a presence. The church is a presence. The church is active. And that's the final descriptor I want to give you today. The church is a presence. Guys, Jesus has called us to be the light of the world. And we're not, we're not the light he wants us to be when we're by ourselves. The scripture Pastor Deborah read earlier today, I'll reread in the New Living Translation. It says this in verse 22, God has put all things under the authority of Christ. Now look at this. And he's made him the head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Now, this is a lot of words coming together, but look at verse 23. And the church is his body. Because we are living out the wishes of God. We, we are like, like if he's the brain, I know he's much more than the brain, but the body, the body, what it does is it lives out the wishes of the brain or the head. I mean, Christ is the one who is making decisions and we are the tools in his hands uh, carrying out those decisions. Jesus is the head, we are the body. And we carry out the task 
the head desires. We are instruments of the brain's imaginations. We are tools to accomplish what Jesus desires. And I want to tell you that this world, this world we live in, this culture we're a part of, this planet we breathe air in is greater because the church exists. We are, we are the people who show up. There are so many things the church does right. When tragedy brings the unexpected, the church shows up. When there's social disorder, the church speaks up. When political power is unjust, the, the church calls it out. The church shows up to educate children. The, sh- the church shows up to feed the hungry. The church shows up to defend the powerless. The church speaks up for people in the womb and people who are inadequately represented on death row. The church shows up. It, it's there in the tough situation. It stands for truth. It stands in love. It stands for purity. The church scoops down to the sick. The church is present in prisons. The church can be found in hospice. The church values the handicapped. The church will not abandon modern day lepers. The church is not a place for earthly power to reign, but the church is a place for spiritual power to manifest through humility, through grace, and yes, even through our weakness. The church will always be, the church will never disappear from this planet. The church will gather, the church will be a family, the church will be a presence, and the church will advance. And you are the church. You are not someone who just occupies time on Sunday morning or in our little Bible studies. You are a powerful force of change. You are weak by yourself, but together you are strong. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. You are filled with purpose. We are advancing the cause of Christ. We're alive in 2018, moving to 2019 for such a time as this because God has called us to be a functioning family, healthy, full of his love, impacting the next generation, advancing the cause of Christ. Christ, doing great exploits for the kingdom of God. I don't understand all the, that happens in the end times, and I believe a lot of it is just empty speculation. But I do know that the prophet Daniel said this, is that the people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. We are living in a time of possibility. The things God has put in your heart will not be squelched by culture. It will not be squelched by political climate. It will not be squelched by outward forces, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world and he's causing the church to rise up. He's causing people, he's calling people to step in, to get involved and to be the people God's called them to be. Why? Because the church is God's people and the church is God's presence and the church is Jesus. Why would you want to give your life to anything less? Right? Let's stand together. Come on, let's stand together. Father, thank you that you're building your church. You're building, we just forget it sometimes. We just, we're so distracted. I'm distracted, I'm leading the church and I get distracted upon this mission and this call. Father, you're renewing it today. You're renewing it today. You're renewing it, Lord, Lord, new vision, new vision for today. We're not here to advance the church at Indian Lake. We're here to advance the kingdom of God. Lord, we're in cooperation. We're in partnership with other great churches in this city. We're in partnership with what you're doing in the Nashville region. God, I thank you that you're doing a great work in Middle Tennessee. 
And God, you're going to take this work in Middle Tennessee. And Lord, you're going to use it. God, you're going to mobilize your churches for kingdom advancement all over the world, God. Lord, you can bring a national revival again. You're not done with the United States of America. You're not done with your church in this region. You're not done, Lord, with what you want to do, Lord. And we just pray, Lord, that you would save your people, that you would bring, God, a new revival, Lord, to our nation, God. You would turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. God, you would turn, God, you would turn the hearts of the spiritual leaders back to prayer, God. That, Lord, you would uproot corruption, God. You would uproot corruption within me, God. You would uproot, God, prayerlessness within me, God. Lord, you would cause us to be people who are humble, God, who are not uh, not just getting fat off the offerings of the, of the Lord's, um, the sacrifices of God's people, but, Lord, who are rightly handling, Lord, the, the resources that come to the kingdom of God. And, Father, we just pray, pray, God, that you would begin to stir. Lord, for those who have lost hope in the church, I pray that you would stir something in them right now. God, you would stir a new fire, Lord. You would, you would just let something, that small spark, Lord, begin to ignite something again. Lord, we pray for a release of dreams and visions, Lord. We pray for a release of hope. God, I pray for those in here, Lord, that you have, you have called to be leaders in your church and they've chosen something less. God, they've chosen something that, that is not as satisfying to the soul. They've chosen something that has brought temporary value, but there's no eternal value. Lord, bring them back to their original call in Jesus' name. I pray for the uh, younger people here, the adolescents, for our teenagers, for our young adults. Lord, stir them for your church, God. Let them dream about your church. Let them be the prophets who speak against us when we need to be called out. Lord, let them be the initiators. Let them be the energy, God. Let them be the creators, God. Let them step into the places that where there's, where there's voids and where the places, God, where there's emptiness, Lord. Lord, we call forth a new generation of pastors, a new generation of teachers and apostles and missionaries, God. Lord, we call forth worship leaders. We call forth servants. We call forth children's workers for the kingdom. Lord, you said that, Lord, the harvest is plentiful. We just need workers for the harvest. So God, stir your people again, Lord. Stir your people again, Lord. May we love you more than we love our entertainment, God. May we love you more than we love our preferences, God. So Lord, call us to the divine again. And we thank you for doing that. We love you for it. You're such a good God. We praise your name.